at Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sip Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And this week, uh, Robert had to take a pass because he didn't have time to fit in a three-hour movie. Understandable. Uh, so I have Rowan joining me as uh, previously um, teased, announced, whatever, something. Hi, hi ho neighborino. Hi, Rowan. Uh, and uh, <laughs> filling in for Robert uh, last minute, Heath was gracious enough to give us his time. Phil and Heath, yay! Woo. Hi. Uh, we are at SipPop.com. Do movie reviews, best ever challenges, lots of other interesting movie-related articles. Plenty of good stuff coming out uh, from Heath and Rowan um, on, the, on the site that you should check out. Uh, Heath, you have the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny review, right? Yep, I have that. We'll be going live here any day. Um, and uh, I just also did uh, uh, Oscars What If mm-hmm. uh, 1991. So, um, yeah, so plenty of good stuff on the website. Make sure to check all that out on the podcast, though. Today, we'll talk about a couple coming attractions and then uh, one of them being Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny. We'll talk about um, Amadeus for our GOAT segment. We'll discuss whether or not it deserves to be in that category. And we'll do a best ever challenge, as suggested by Rowan, of unreliable narrators for the B-plot. And we'll wrap up with a spinoff. Quick recommend or warn from each one of us. But first, let's get a chance to talk with Rowan and Heath for a little bit. Uh, Rowan, you brought this question up, so I'm going to make you answer first. Um, why did the Flash fail at the box office? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> f- well, first of all, it's been in development for upwards of ten years at this point, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As 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 he's saying, upwards. So, like, <laughs> no, I think I think they actually started a Flash film in 1980 something. It's mm-hmm. been the better part of almost 30 years. Yeah. But keep going back to you. It's been so long that Ezra Miller was cast a week before the TV Barry Allen was introduced. And then the show on the CW just wrapped up. And now this After movie is finally coming eight out. Seasons. Yeah, it wasn't a short <laughs> show either. Uh, Heath, that would be nine seasons actually. Oh, <laughs> nine seasons. My bad. <laughs> um, and what does Warner brothers do uh, when they finally decide to premiere uh, this movie that they've spent something like 200 something million on just flat and then uh, a marketing budget of almost 200 million in and of itself. They decide to do a ton of free screenings across the country. Great for people who don't want to pay for this movie. Not great for box office because a lot of people who might have paid for it otherwise are now going to see it for free. Um, Honestly, I think that was what killed it the most. Because I know, like a lot of people, would have been super interested to see this movie for a variety of uh, for a variety of reasons. Whether that be like hate watching, or just seeing what all the fuss is about, or you know, just a casual moviegoer going to see another superhero movie. And then, but so a lot of those people that would have paid money to see it otherwise are now going to these screenings that are free. That are, I, I guess, intended to make you want to go see it again. But then again, that only works if it's a good movie. Um, And so I have a feeling that a lot of people who, you know, just based on these box office returns, that a lot of people who went to those screenings didn't go see it again. And I don't blame them. I was not a big fan of the Flash movie. Um, But yeah, so I like I honestly think it's a plus, of course, there's the Ezra Miller, Mm -hmm. um, you know, everything that's happening with them and just so much not great press, especially like a lot of stuff leaking from these fan screenings that wouldn't have happened if you didn't have the friends, uh, the fan screenings, you know, 
people who go to press screenings, the press, they don't leak things. Fans do. Fans film stuff uh, on their phones and put it on TikTok for, you know, the whole world to see. And that is like that, you know, and then people take those screenshots and they share them all over Twitter. And all of a sudden, everyone on the Internet knows what happens in the Flash movie that they might not have known and might have enticed them to see the movie if there wasn't these screenings. I was so I, like, spoiled by the very end cameo that, yeah. that made me really mad because I actually thought that was actually genius. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was honestly, that was one of the, that was one of the better ideas in the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I personally, like personal feelings aside, I feel like this movie was sort of destined to bomb. Like yeah. it had, like it had the opposite of everything going for it. Uh, and so I'm not I, surprised. In I place. felt that way until the Super Bowl commercial came out. And then I felt like, Oh, this just got revived. And I am actually mm-hmm. interested now. I think as much as I want to blame it on the Ezra Miller aspect i don't think that's anywhere near why Mm -hmm. the movie is failing i mean i would love for that to be the reason why like hey let's stop supporting terrible people but uh even though he's they are one person of hundreds of people that worked on the movie you know but um i i i think also let's 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 do our best to recount the history of this movie because it was announced um ezra miller cast announced a week before the flash show premiered um and wasn't it originally supposed to be written by Seth Graham Smith? And I think even directed by him at one point. And I wouldn't then, be surprised. So many writers and writers and directors have come and gone from this and then, project. Like, in the last he was years. attached for like a year. Like was Fede Alvarez attached at one point? Evil Dead director. I thought he was. I can't confirm or deny, but you know, I wouldn't I, be I surprised. Could any filmmaker and I would be like, <laughs> yeah. this person was attached at one point, right? And you would be like, probably. Yeah, no, uh, makes sense. Yeah. Wasn't Sorkin <laughs> writing the script for this at one point? <laughs> no, <laughs> I can confirm that one. Spielberg was supposed to direct this one. Uh, <laughs> no. it, but it's it's one of those where it's like, it, it, I, I feel like the movie was announced long enough ago and then it just kept on getting pushed back. Like when Marvel announces their stuff and it, and it might get pushed back, a year or two or just get scrapped like the inhumans and nobody cares but like (laughs) can you imagine if if like they were like we're gonna do the avengers movie and then 10 years later they came out with the avengers movie and it was just a hot pile of garbage yeah (laughs) like it is and especially it's like not announcing the avengers movie for 10 years from now but like flash was originally supposed to premiere they announced it in 2013 uh, announced it in 2014 and it was supposed to release March 23rd of 2018. Right. That's five wow. years later. <laughs> That's and, and five, five, and five years later without <laughs> changing your lead lead actor. Like, mm-hmm. cause a lot of times that's a hiccup. Like, uh, anyway, um, Heath, what are what are your thoughts on why the flash so, is a bombing? So I want to say, and I say this as someone who enjoyed the flash, I totally recognize it has a lot of problems, but uh, and maybe it's partially because I really like the Flash as a character. I really like the Flashpoint comic book, that storyline. And I do think there is a genuine sense of emotionality that this film tries to get to at the end of the film. But with all that said, this movie clearly has a lot of problems. And I don't think it's any one thing. And we're trying to like pinpoint one thing, and it's not. It's all these things. And I think that's what needs to be stated is... It is the Ezra Miller of it all. It is the fact that this production started in the late 80s. They revived it in 2004, trying to do it with Superman Returns and Batman Begins. Then they revived it again with the extended universe. It was announced in 2014 for a 2018 release. Here we are in 2023. It's finally coming out. It's the fact that uh, Ezra has had such complications, and that's putting it nicely, uh, to put it bluntly, uh, 
they are kind of a piece of human garbage. That's the more blunt way. And Loose, uh, loosely defined human. Um. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I, whereas I know I usually like to think I am good at separating the art from the artist and being able to like watch a movie for what it is. I know that that is not a natural tendency and most people are incapable of doing that. And that if you do not like Ezra, then I totally get it. If you don't want to see this movie, there are and, multiple Ezra's in this and movie. There's multiple Ezra's <laughs> in this movie. Um, but the, the <laughs> two of the big things that I don't think we've even touched on. And I actually think these are the two biggest reasons, even beyond the, yes, it got weird word of mouth beforehand. People are calling it the greatest movie of comic movie of all time, trying to hype it up. And people are like, Oh, that's, <laughs> I can smell BS on that from a mile away. Mm-hmm. But um, two big things. And I mentioned this in my review that I wrote was one, um, this is kind of the end of the DCEU. Now, technically we still have blue beetle after this. And technically we have Aquaman, the lost kingdom, but uh, yeah. Does anyone really care? I, in a lot of ways, I, I care about Shazam, blue beetle a lot. Actually. I mean, I, I want to, I'm going to see them, but like, do we care in the grander scheme of things? No, like we don't. And I think Shazam fury of the gods should have been a precursor to that because the original Shazam before we knew fury of the gods was bad, by the way, just taking into context, the original Shazam, People really liked. In fact, a lot of people, myself included, considered that one of the better movies in the DCEU mm-hmm. and had hope and promise for this sequel. But like it was announced that, yeah, no, we're just going to end all of this. And mixed with bad reviews, no one went out and saw that movie. The, the Fury of the Gods is to this point, not counting the Flash yet because that theatrical run's not done. So we'll see where it stacks. But Fury of the Gods was the worst performing DCEU movie ever. And I think that's just because people are checked out. Like Marvel is already asking so much of them. People want to watch other stuff too. You have your other big temple franchises. Indiana Jones has a movie coming out that you got a new Nolan. There's a Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse and Super Mario Brothers are apparently taking the world by storm. Like there's so much other stuff to watch that like why spend your money in this economy on something that's not going to matter in the grand scheme of things and tied into that not mattering because we know we're just going to scrap it all and throw it all away is the fact that this came so late. We talked about the five years in terms of the timeline, but I'm talking in terms of the storyline, the multiverse of this. Like if this comes out same exact movie in 2018, besides not having the Ezra problems, because a lot of that stuff hadn't gone public yet Mm -hmm. and wasn't in the news. Mm -hmm. This is the first big multiverse movie. Spider-Man No Way Home doesn't exist yet. Yeah, Spider-Man Spider-verse Spider-verse doesn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse came out the same year, but it came out later that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, in game, which isn't technically a multiverse movie, but it does time travel and co- creates a divergent timeline where we have different, the, the only thing versions it- of characters, like all of this stuff that we are now accustomed to and have come acclimated to in comic book movies that, Already people are getting kind of sick of and people are like, oh man, we have to, we're still in the middle of, you know, the multiverse saga for the MCU. We've got to do this for another three, four years still. And we're already kind of getting burnt out on it. Well, this would have been first to the punching bag the, back then. The only now thing I can think of that was before that was the X-Men doing it. But Days of Future Past. Yeah, spe- yeah. Well, specifically Days of Future Past, but also like that's two, that's two timelines it's not really a multiverse because they try. Yeah, to it's keep not it really a multiverse. It's, it, that's more of a time travel. A but, but they are doing multiple times and locations in one thing. So like it's, yeah. it's, it's, I think it's people would have had enough, but it is close enough. It's close. And I think that would have helped people in understanding the multiverse concept. But I think this would have been seen as truly the first multiverse film. Mm-hmm. And 
now that it didn't come out in 2018 and it's come out in 2023, it's kind of old hat. And we're like, really? Now you're doing this too. And so the things that would have been fun five years ago look like a cash grab, like the the Michael Keaton thing. Like I had a blast, but I know a lot of people that hated that because they're like, oh, you gave him nothing to do and no character development, which I personally disagree with. But even though I disagree with it, I totally recognize that. Yeah, it is. it does kind of feel cheap at times, especially when he's doing his lines, looking straight into the camera. It's really <laughs> cheesy, you know, Let's like get nuts. <laughs> exactly. Like that plays a lot better in 2018 than it does now. So I think that delay hurt it way more than we ever thought it would because now this story by comparison to other stories like this that have come out in the recent years looks just way lackluster yep and mm-hmm. and we're just done with the dceu what what is there to care about why should we spend our money and spend our time going to see these movies when literally by the end of the year none of it will matter anymore all these characters are going away let me ask one more question before we get to the other ones uh just because it was announced like literally like three hours ago. What do you guys think of the new <laughs> Superman casting? Grow and go. I like it. I don't know. Like, I, I think I've only seen David Cornsweet in Pearl and he was great in Pearl, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've seen some clips circulating the internet about how he like has great like Clark Kent energy. And I do agree because like Henry Cavill, great Superman. I don't think he was a great Clark Kent. And I know there are a lot of people that would disagree with me, but this new guy, I think captures the energy a lot better. Plus he's younger. And, um, and he like, he even looks a lot like a younger Henry Cavill. Um, and I don't know. I love Rachel Brosnahan. I have no problem with her as Lois Lane. I'm sure they're both going to do a great job. Um, you know, it's going to be a while before we know much more, uh, about it, but I'm excited. I'm not yeah, sure my thought is I've ever pretty- seen Rachel Brosnahan in anything. Now I haven't seen Mrs. Basil. But and I know that's her most popular thing. I guess. Oh, she was in House of Cards for a hot second. Uh, the first <laughs> couple seasons, Patriots Day probably as like extra number six or whatever. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but like, she's a face I recognize, um, and yeah, I don't recognize the guy at all. Mm-hmm. I uh, I my thought is very much that one. Clearly, this new universe they're setting up that Gunn is making is going to be a lot younger because these guys, these actors, very much look like they're in their mid to late twenties still, um, you know, considerably younger than, uh, Henry Cavill and, uh, Amy Adams, even when man of steel came out, you know, a decade ago. Um, so I'm anticipating that the entire universe is going to be younger, which is probably a good thing. You can get more out of these actors for a longer period of time, especially if you have, do have a slower development timeline, which DC and Warner brothers definitely have in comparison to Disney and Marvel. Um, but two, uh, I kind of like as well that they're relatively no name. I, I say relatively because, yeah, you, Marvelous Miss Maisel and, and all that. And they do have some pedigree. But in terms of main na- name recognition yeah. on a grander Hollywood scale that if you just said this person's name, people would know it. I don't think anyone on the street is randomly going to know these two names. And I think that's good because well, and- we won't have any preconditions going into their performances. We can take them at face value for what they are. And Going off their looks aesthetically, I think they look great. I think that looks like that could be Clark Kent Superman, and that looks like that could be Lois Lane. So well, I'm the, pretty happy. With not it. that Henry Cavill was a big star either, I, but like he had been in some things. Um, yeah. He was almost 007 in Daniel Craig's uh, run, but mm-hmm. he, uh, but like, but he was also supported by 
uh, Amy Adams as Lois Lane and Lawrence Fishburne as uh, Perry. I want to say Perry Mason. White. No, that's not right. Perry, Perry White. White. <laughs> um, you know, and not only that, but you also throw in um, Michael Shannon as General Zod. Like he, he supported by a really stellar, really well known cast. Like oh, all we know are these two, but yeah, I I love the idea that it's going to be um, like a bunch of no namers, a bunch of. Uh, I mean, at least in, in, in general to the, to the, to the public, I'm really excited about that. Like, and to your point, Heath, like there's, there's a lot to criticize about the way the MCU did things, especially early on, but like, uh, like, like behind the scenes, but like they were geniuses for locking up Sebastian Stan for a 13 picture contract. Like, cause then he started appearing and stuff and became a really big star, but then they still had him down for like six more movies, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, like just with and locking signing, them in while they were young, right, getting too. these young people and signing them to, to like, what did, uh, Anthony Mackie sign? Like eight, 10, 11 movies. And Anthony I Mackie was already remember. like kind of a star when they cast him, you know, he wasn't like Sebastian Stan, who was relatively nobody when they cast him. But anyway, um, I'm really excited about the younger aspect of this. Um, Real quick, do you guys have a movie or two that you expect to flop uh, at the box office this year? I have one in mind. Uh, Real quick before I say that, I just wanted to say one thing as kind of a caveat to DCEU in general, what we're talking about, uh, because it is ending. I think it is interesting that we have had 14 movies. It doesn't feel like it because a lot of them have not tied together well or been so lackluster, but there's been 14 DCEU movies that came out over the course of a decade. Uh, To put that in perspective... Uh, a decade worth of films for Marvel that was Iron Man one all the way to Infinity War. Yeah, and look it's how like much twenty movie. something, right? And yeah, that was about. Uh, I think that was exactly twenty movies at that time. So yeah. just the difference in production between these two studios, six more movies, yes, but not just six more movies. The amount of growth in character development between the first Iron Man all the way through to Infinity War is. I mean, I don't know if the DCEU achieved what Marvel did from Iron Man to the first Avengers in 14 movies. And that's, it's just crazy. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. I thought that was just an interesting tidbit. That's and a, no, that's a really good perspective. Cause like Marvel beat them, Marvel beat DC to the game and their approach was, was let's go slow and steady and fine approach. But if you're going to put out bangers, you know, instead you put out Man of Steel, which is arguably the best EU movie. It's which isn't there. saying much, but you follow that up with Batman versus Superman, which is one of the worst ad, at least the theatrical cut, <laughs> I think is uh, more offensible Bad. to me than Batman yeah. and Robin. Even um, I said what I said. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> but uh, I just looked this up as well. The So for four. So we just did 10 years. If you compare the DCEU to 14 movies in the MCU, that still puts you Iron Man to Doctor Strange. That's right after Civil War. So they still, in the same amount of movies, accomplished Civil War. That, again, I think that says a lot. Yeah. Um, All right. I'm going to get my box office bomb prediction, my box office flop prediction out of the way early. I don't think this movie is actually not going to make a lot of money. I just don't think it's going to make anywhere near what the studios (laughs) want it to. I'm going with Oppenheimer. Um, And I'm basing that off of the fact that I don't think that Christopher Nolan is as much of a household name as us movie people like to think. I don't think written and directed by Christopher Nolan means anybody to my neighbor, um, to my coworker. 
Um, I also think that th- it's going to have a long runtime, which will be off-putting to people. Uh, it's supposed to be what over three hours. It's yeah, I think it yeah. is ex- almost exactly exactly three exactly hours. Three hours. That's yeah. going to be. I mean, look, and I know Lord of the Rings made a killing, right? But I'm just saying, like when when a lot of movies have gone this long, you know, it's you. I think that's going to be off-putting to people. Um, I think it'll actually draw a lot of the older crowd. Um, but if like it would have been a perfect Father's Day weekend movie. Uh, <laughs> and I also think just going up against Barbie, like. Look, I'm going to be I'm going to be real for a second. If I have the <laughs> choice to pick one of the two movies that I get to see that weekend, it's Barbie. Um, and I didn't think I'd say that a year ago, but it just is. Um, I think I think there's I think the movie is going to make money. But I just think that, you know, when 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 we say Oppenheimer, the new film by Christopher Nolan, I don't think that carries as much weight to the general audiences as, as it does to movie lovers. And Let's just stop pretending that Christopher Nolan is in, is if infallible because I mean, dude produced Batman versus Superman and um, and uh, I mean produced Man of Steel, which again I kind of like Man of Steel, um, but dude also directed The Dark Knight Rises, which is terrible. And um, come on, it is just admit it. No, and uh, it's not terrible. <laughs> and dude also directed Tenet, which like is a good movie, but it's not the best directed movie. Um, so like. Let's just not pretend the dude's infallible. Um, anyway, I, I think Oppenheimer is going to make lower than anybody projects. Uh, I, I'm i curious what you think the projection is on that. Like, what do you think that they're wanting from that? Because I've looked at Nolan's history, and he usually only makes about 100 to 150 domestic with his films. On his peak, when I say peak, I mean like Interstellar, not counting The Dark Knight. That's, that's different. Right, that's, right. That has tied in IP. Um, but I'm talking Interstellar, Inception. Those only made like 200, a little bit north of 200. I I think that's I think 150 million domestic is doable for Oppenheimer. I guess I guess it does depend on the predictions. I I was projecting a little higher. I was thinking that they right. would expect a little higher. Part of that is because marketing has been all over this movie. They've spent. I would be surprised if they didn't spend as much marketing the movie as they did making the movie, if not more. Um, so I guess my projections were thinking that they needed to make, let's say, five, six hundred worldwide. I mean, it looks like the budget on the film was a hundred million. That's not as much as I thought, especially considering yeah. everybody is in the movie. No, that doesn't count marketing. That's just the budget. Yeah. Keep that in mind. It, but still, I, I feel like I've seen that trailer in front of every movie since the Super Bowl, because that's I, where I, they I, unveiled the trailer. It's interesting because this is the first, at least that I can remember since he went mainstream this is the first nolan movie that's not warner brothers yep you know he got pissed at them because of how they handled the release of tenant during the pandemic Mm -hmm. uh so he jumped ship this is his first film with universal um and i think that's part of why universal has been marketing the hell out of it because they want that dollar now that they paid to get him yep um and i do i agree with you when you say i don't think the the Joe Schmo on the corner is going to know the name Christopher Nolan, but they are going to know Inception in the Dark Knight. And almost all those trailers say from Christopher Nolan, the mind behind the Dark Knight and Inception. So I do think it will still get those people. And I tell you what, you talk about dads. My dad wants to see this and he is, he is, he is a movie person, but he's like a golden age movie person. He'll, mm. He is the kind of dad that could sit in front of the TV and watch Turner classic movies for hours and just be completely content. See, I um, think, I so, think the runtime negates the dad factor. Cause I think it's going to be a dad movie, but then it'll be like, Hey dad, you want to go see this movie about the guy that created the nuke? Heck yeah. It's three hours long plus commercials. I'm out. <laughs> I just, I think that depends on the dad. My, mine, mine wants to see this. I, I think you'd be surprised at how many, you know, 55 plus 
male demographic would want to see this. I think I it's just, a long I also feel number. like this is going to be one of those movies that people are going to see in IMAX or not at all. And so like I could walk into a standard movie theater uh, a Friday night for a 7 p.m. showing and not have a problem getting a decent seat. And yeah. like that's just going to like I feel like people are going to see this movie and they're going to and they're going to see it in the best possible format. But like I just don't know that cinephiles are. <laughs> cinephiles yes i i don't know that what is who's distributing this now what is you, you said universal universal i i don't think that universal no. I, like you make these movies for awards and or you you hire somebody like nolan for awards and for home sales and for stuff like and for imax tickets and whatnot um and if you break even at the box office cool but you make your money off of the amount of times I, that TNT is going to play Oppenheimer on repeat. You I know? think I would, when I was doing my research for the summer, some game at the beginning of the year or in the spring, um, I, I think I had this slated right at around 150 to 175 million yeah. and that's domestic. Um, and if it makes that, I think they're happy. Well, and there's but, also the question of, and I don't know, but is China going to release this? Ooh, I don't know. Like I doubt it. Right. That like, I'm sure it. that they have an answer and I, I just don't know, but I'm just like, I have a real big, I really doubt that, that that this gets played anywhere over there in the in in Eastern Asia. Variety has reported that the for, film needs to make four hundred million worldwide to make a profit. Wow! I think it'll just make that. Mm-hmm. It'll be but, close, but that movie is going to make most of its money off of how much TNT is going to play it. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> sorry, Rowan, uh, you've been quiet. Do you have a pick for a movie you think is going to flop? Well, see. It's difficult because a lot of movies this summer are are being very strategic with their releases, like Meg 2, The Trench. Mm-hmm. The first one was a much bigger hit than anyone expected. Mm-hmm. I don't think this one's going to make nearly as much as that one, but I don't think it's going to flop either, like not even close. Um, unfortunately, but here's the thing, because yeah. I saw The Meg at home... I'm probably going to the theaters to see the Meg too because the first one was actually pretty okay. Yeah. Like I saw, I saw the first one in theaters um, twice on the first day because I had such a good time <laughs> the first time. I love. Uh, that. I I love this movie. Not like <laughs> I don't like ob- objectivity. I, I, I I'm just throwing objectivity yeah, out the yeah, window yeah, for right. this one. Um, right, we're not talking about Amadeus yet, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, as much as I hate to say it, I am looking forward to this. I do think Blue Beetle is not going to be a big hit. Mm. I don't think it's going to do terribly. I, I think it, it is honestly might do better than The Flash. I think it's going to do terribly. Yeah. <laughs> You're bumming me out, Heath. Mm. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm trying to be nice here. I'm so I think curious. Blue Beetle looks looks really fun. I think it's going to massively underperform. And like, you know, movies that people like some you know sometimes they don't do too well and i think that this is going to be one of those instances unfortunately i'm I'm curious because like with the hiring of james gunn and peter saffron like there's there's a little bit more like playroom that they had to interfere with the movie um and there was also like it was like it's it's a completely new character like so there's a lot of those things that are kind of in the mix that um that like people might have not you know seeing the flash only because only because like they were excited to see what was going on but then if if somebody's if somebody really wanted to see what james gunn is going to do with the movie don't base it off the flash base it off of Mm -hmm. definitely the movies coming out next year i mean obviously for sure superman legacy but like um but you know don't base it off the ones that were already completely filmed by the time he got hired you know Mm-hmm. I think I also think there's enough people that will not recognize that Blue Beetle is a like DCEU property and that might be enticing to people because it's not connected to the huge properties and they want more of a grounded superhero. We'll see. 
I'm really curious to see. For the record, I actually really like the Blue Beetle character. Um, yeah. And I hope it does well, but I, I'm just not confident. That movie had a bigger budget than Oppenheimer. <laughs> that was 100. It's one of those you look, it has what, like a September release date or August? No, I think it's mid-August. It which feels like such a dumb. kind of crap, but Guardians of the yeah. Galaxy killed it and it had a mid-August. So like that, you was, never know. that was Marvel post Avengers. That's I know, a different. I know. That's a different beast. Well, and this is DC post post Flash. <laughs> this is DC post Flash when they know it's dying. These are yeah. not comparable. <laughs> that's not apples to oranges. That's like apples to dog crap. This is this is the this is a completely different thing. Um, my my think uh, I I I don't think Disney's Haunted Mansion is going to do well. Mm. Um, I don't know what they're expecting from this, but. I think this comes twofold. One, uh, I know it's a reboot and the first one came out like a, almost two decades ago with Eddie Murphy, something mm-hmm. what in the mid mid mm-hmm. aughts, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how much people are wanting another Disney movie based off of a ride. When we got five pair pirates of the Caribbean to mi- diminishing returns, jungle cruise released to middling reviews. I like uh, jungle cruise. I, I enjoy it too. Uh, I gave it a good <laughs> review for Sif pop, uh, but like overall middling reviews and reception, and uh, again, this is 20 years after the first one. I just, and again, looking at its timeline, dumped at the very end of July, right before uh, August. Um, this is just like a week after Barbie and Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. So those will still be playing and probably still have more screens and theaters. And then it's just like five days before Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I imagine families and kids will go in and see that well before they'll see haunted mansion that's just my guess but i i don't think haunted mansion is gonna i also wonder how how likely parents are to take their kids to see the disney movie knowing that it'll be on disney plus in a month because of the cost like yeah i i mean i don't know i'm not a parent but like heath are you are you are you that is something i consider are you are you (laughs) right are you waiting to take to show your kids this one at home like (laughs) like i was waiting for elemental like the big the big you know big projects i'm excited to see y'all go to the see in the theater but something like that i have no problem waiting for like i and i'm i'm target demo i'm a millennial that loves disney Mm -hmm. you know like and i have kids that i've literally been raising on disney i'm target demographic and i'm still just like (laughs) i can wait (laughs) so yeah. I, I obviously that's anecdotal um uh, uh, but still i i wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of people like me and again just looking at where it is on the calendar what's coming before it what's coming after it kind of the state of those disney park ride attraction movies i i'm just not confident i think we should probably get moving on <laughs> yep. sound, sound like a plan mm-hmm. um rowan you are the last guest on the schedule do you have anything prepared to roast my movie collection or are we just going to move on I do. I, I'm. I'll, I'll. I'll keep it brief, and I'm not going to be as eloquent as Foster. I think. I think. I think Foster. Ooh. I think Foster won. Won this one. But I will say, Aaron, mm-hmm. you seem intent on collecting terrible sequels, yeah. like the Silent De- Night, Deadly Night, you yeah. know, sequels. Yeah. But for some reason, you missed the worst sequel. Like, if you're going to commit to it, and you, like you don't even have the original at all, and you call yourself a completionist. Yeah. Speaking of being a completionist, there are several holes in your library that would hold me back from labeling you as such. Yeah. The Office Season 9, Scary Movie 4, Sleepaway Camp 4, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Wake Up Ron Burgundy, Black Christmas, The Brave Little Toaster to the Rescue, Scary Movie 5, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, The Secrets of Dumbledore, among many others, beg to differ. If you're going to commit, just commit. Also, the F9 director's cut, I cannot possibly comprehend what can be in that cut that will make it worth owning. Uh-huh. And I actually liked that movie. <laughs> I will say, that having been said, I'm very impressed with the collection, and I'm way too nice to be too mean about it. So there we go. 
Interesting. Uh, yeah, the F9 <laughs> Director's Cut was a was a gift. Uh, my brother <laughs> bought the Blu-ray and, and sent me the code, and I was like, whatever, it's free. Yeah, uh, my fair. understanding is the Director's Cut only has like 30 seconds more, and it's Cardi B footage, so <laughs> I'm sure I would hate it more. Uh, I really don't think I'll ever watch that movie again, but my brother shares my account, <laughs> and he awful. likes those movies. So yeah. he, uh, you know, and, and my wife likes dumb action movies um, more than I do. Um because I don't think I'll watch F9 again, and there's a decent chance to will. So it was free. Nah. Yeah. Did you call wait, Scream wait, 4 wait, wait a bad movie? Wait, 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 ruin my roast, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, did you call Scream 4 a bad movie? No, 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 no. I just said that, wait, did I call Scream 4? Uh, you had no, it in your list Scream of 4. Scary Movie 5 and, and other and other. Oh, yes, yeah, uh, Scary Movie 4, not Scream 4. Mm. I like Scream 4. Yeah. But that was just one of the ones that you're missing. I, yeah. was, I mean, I'm sure it's a terrible movie. I'm just saying oh, you're so missing it. <laughs> no, because after 3, they really jump the shark, and that's where they go into those full, like, not yeah. even trying anymore. They're just conglomerates. And three's even pretty bad. Um, but I like three. But that, that's it. Was the first one I saw. So I have the, I have I have I have that bias. Yeah. Okay. One <laughs> random question for you guys, real quick. Um, Heath, at least I know you're a sports guy. Rowan, I don't know that you've ever seen a, a ball in your life. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you guys are going to watch a sport, do you prefer individual or team sports? Oh, team, and it's it's not even close. That's. The, I, I individual sports are fairly boring. <laughs> yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I have seen a ball in my life. I have barely, I have barely played with a ball in my life. Um, my favorite sport to watch is college volleyball. Uh, for a variety of yeah. reasons. Uh, I, volleyball is such a fun spectator sport, and I only started going to games um, at my school uh, la- in the tail half of last year, and I had so much fun. So volleyball is going to be my choice to watch a sport, team sport, every time. I love playing volleyball. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's fun. But I'm tall uh, and fat, so it's fine. Yeah. Uh, uh, hockey is my go-to, especially if I'm watching it live. Uh, I, I don't think... There is a better sport than live hockey. It's just so energetic and fun. Yeah. Um, although in terms of like atmosphere, live soccer is great because soccer crowds are insanely rowdy um, mm-hmm. and they never stop cheering and singing and chanting and playing, banging on drums. And that's fun too. So, uh, but yeah, definitely team sports. Yeah. I picked team sports too. Um, and like, I, I feel like the individual sport has mostly gone away. I mean, like, I feel like you could say like baseball it is a team sport, but it's also largely individualistic, right? Like, there's not nine people like the up only... the plate to bat at one time, you know? Like, <laughs> I feel like the only time you really ever see truly individual sports anymore is either one, golf, or two, in the Olympics. Yeah. Um, in the Olympics, you see that all the time. And uh, th- there's a little bit of fun. Like, I, I did track and field, and I pole vaulted in high school. Um, so, like, when the Olympics happen, I like to watch the pole vaulting. But, mm-hmm. like, that's just me individually and you know sometimes swimming is fun and or some of the mm-hmm. track sprints but like other than that <laughs> once every four years sure i'll watch one person run in an individual event yeah for, <laughs> but other than that no yeah that's uh i i care more about winter olympics than i do summer olympics i think like same snowboarding is super cool snowboarding um, hockey again yeah i think uh well i mean hockey's not really fun though because they don't let like the pros go <laughs> the nhl yeah, doesn't really what are you talking about 
They don't like to. Um, They've been doing that for years. Like the Miracle on Ice in 1980 was like the last time that they had. It was all amateurs. The very next Winter Olympics. It's been pros ever since I'd the be, mid 80s. I'd be really surprised if that keeps going, though. The NHL, is, re- I think, is really trying to shut it down. I, I promise you that's never going to stop. Okay. They want the best. The, the best players in the world want to play and they are going to they are going to play. OK. All right. Um, that's why definitely you know, teams like, don't like it. Oh, no. The yeah. NHL owners hate it because yeah. they don't want to lose revenue and they don't want to risk their players getting injured. But I think Alexander Ovechkin said it once, and he's one of the greatest players in the world is uh, you'd have to shoot me before you're not going to let me play for my country. So, um, (laughs) yeah, I like the team sports aspect too, because I just love um, like the idea that you could take the best player in the world and put them on a crappy team and, it makes the team 1% better. I mean, like in Ted Lasso season three, we saw this arc with them picking up Zava and they still lost almost every game. Right. Like, you know, he, he, since, since he, since Heath and I talk hockey a lot, like it's really fun, like to watch these teams at the trade deadline, go all out on getting the number one available player to watch the Rangers trade for Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko and, Vladimir Tarasenko and still losing and in the first still round lose in the first round yet teams like Florida which were the wild card and were completely quiet at the trade deadline make it to the make it final. to the final right and like so it's always interesting just you know even like take Toronto too. Toronto like staked everything on this year and lost in the second round uh even though like they have some of the most talented players in the world on their team so uh and young too so it's um I think this is really fun and and like um like reporter like this this reporter duo that I follow about Blackhawk stuff has pointed out like the teams that wind up winning the Stanley Cup aren't aren't the teams that go out and trade for Patrick Kane they're they're guys that go out and trade for you know Brandon Hagel and um you know, your your third and fourth liners that are role fillers as opposed to your your superstars and so I like I think that makes the team aspect a lot better um you know you can't you know. Wayne Gretzky was kind of the exception, but that was a totally different era of hockey. Uh, so uh, anyway, let's get on to talking about more movies um, before we go down a weird rabbit hole. And by that, I mean me and Heath go down a weird rabbit hole and Rowan just look like he knows what's going on. Um, but <laughs> um, I guess Rowan's just the person to pick on. Today. Sorry, Rowan. <laughs> It's okay. Rowan, I'm used to it. To make up for it, would you like to start off by talking about Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, or Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? Uh, I guess we should get Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken out of the way. Uh, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken's new animated film coming by DreamWorks uh, this week. A shy adolescent teen, she comes from a fabled royal family and legendary sea krakens, and that her destiny lies in the depths of the waters, which is way bigger than she could have ever imagined. Um, yeah, a uh, decent amount of people in the voice cast here. Um, Jane Fonda and to- Tony Collette, Coleman Domingo, Will Forte being like among the, the, the like big, big guys, uh, Sam Richardson also thrown in there. Um, uh, but, uh, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, uh, what do you guys think on the scale of would, uh, again, remember this is, this is a theater release only. Um, so we don't have to give that caveat, but, um, if you have unlimited time and, uh, your budget's not a factor, any of that stuff, you're only going based off your own free will. Are you checking this movie out in theaters? Are you waiting to rent it at home? Are you waiting until it's on a streaming service you already pay for? Are you waiting to kind of see how first initial reactions are, or are you not interested? Heath, let's start with you. Not interested. That's it. (laughs) I mean, I'll probably see it with my kids eventually. Um, You know, it's a, family-friendly animated movie uh sure but no not interested i'll join you with not interested um dreamworks has a pretty good like dreamworks are either like the most forgettable or the best like how to train your dragon and shrek or 
everything else. Everything else. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Rowan. Uh, so this was the Regal Monday mystery movie last week. Oh. And I go to those whenever it's convenient. Um, and so I have seen this. If I had not seen this, I would be joining you guys in not interested, <laughs> and I will entirely validate your opinion. Uh, this is this is a like you know <laughs> watch it if there's literally nothing else to watch. Um, I read I, I read yeah. Shane's review earlier today uh, yeah. and got it ready to go publish tomorrow. But uh, yeah, it seems to back that up. Yeah, but, but I haven't been made about this movie before <laughs> before I read the review. Yeah, like the voice cast is great. I couldn't recognize anyone except Jane Fonda. Like, like they are playing like something. Either something's been done to their voices, or like they're or like they're doing something else. But Jane Fonda was the only one that I recognized. And you know, not to say that that's the be all end all of the movie. I just thought it was kind of bland. So yeah, it, right. The animation looks bland. The story just looks like a really weaker version of Turning Red. Like it just, yeah. it's just, I'm not interested. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. looking at DreamWorks track record. Yeah. I mean, so we have like obviously like Push the Boots the Last Wish, which got you know, a lot of love, but that's part of the Shrek we have franchise. Kung Fu Panda. There's like a handful. Yeah. There's like maybe five or half. But you a also dozen have Boss like... Babies and the Croods and Trolls. <laughs> the Captain Underpants movie was actually kind of fun. Um Stop. <laughs> shut up. Penguins of Madagascar. <laughs> Madagascar. <laughs> Megamind's uh, got me got uh, Megamind and B movie got some good meme culture. Like, Hold on, um, Heath's the one that wants us to move on. Something something must be wrong. Indiana yeah. Jones, <laughs> <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is the new uh, Indiana Jones movie, supposedly the final installment uh, in this franchise, uh, directed by James Mangold for the first time, not Spielberg directed. Archaeologist Indiana Jones races against time to retrieve a legendary artifact that can change the course of history. Um, Harrison Ford returning in the role, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Antonio Banderas, uh, Karen Allen, John Rhys-Davies, uh, Toby Jones, uh, Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, anybody I'm missing? Cool. Sounds uh, about right. Not Shia LaBeouf. Not Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> um, not Kiwi Kwan, which saddens me. Mm. Uh, but uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of the Destiny, same scale. Rowan's the- Theater of Rent Stream, wait for reactions or skip? I would say probably stream but i'm gonna see this in theaters come on like of course i am i i already have plans to go um but honestly you know i'm I'm curious why you say stream before Mm -hmm. like is it is it because the early reactions are kind of meh or was you were you even feeling that way before this before the early reactions that's part of it and also like i like i really like indiana jones i raiders of the lost ark is one of my favorite movies Mm -hmm. i just think this movie is entirely unnecessary and so far i have not seen or heard anything that would validate its existence to me and like get me super excited about it um It, it does feel weird for them to do like one last indiana jones movie without like trying to set it up for sequels um it does feel weird for them to, to bring Harrison Ford out, uh, back into this character at 108 years old or however old he is <laughs> at this point uh, to, to do this again and not have it be for the purpose of Fieber Waller Bridge taking over the role or the franchise or whatever, you know, or Q Iquan or whatever, you know, or, or even just one last one last goodbye from our favorite, you know, um, you know, if they could have filmed this, you know, when Sean Connery was was still alive, if they could have done something to you know to have one last hurrah with everybody um then but like it does feel 
odd. <laughs> right, like why? Like yeah. like why does this movie have to exist? And who knows? Like like maybe I'll really like it, maybe I will, you know, like maybe my opinion will differ from, you know, the the critics who saw this at Cannes and maybe I'll, you know, come back to this podcast next time I'm on and go, I was so wrong about Indiana Jones, but right now like I do not have the strength to have a ton of like care uh, like uh, about this movie. Heath I love that phraseology. I don't have the strength to care. <laughs> Much like Harrison Ford. Boom. Um, I I am seeing this in theaters. Uh, I am opening. In fact, I'm seeing this uh, on Thursday before uh, Friday. So uh, I'm very excited to see this. I love the Indiana Jones movies. It's one of my favorite franchises of all time. Um, I'm a Last Crusades uh, person first, but obviously Raiders is great. I have a lot of childhood affinity for Temple. Um, even kingdom of the crystal skull, which I know a lot of people don't like, I don't think it's nearly as bad as people I like it. To, yeah. I, I don't think it's nearly as bad as people make it out to be. I don't think it's great by any means. It's certainly the weakest, but it still has its redeeming qualities and fun moments. Um, so I'm definitely excited to see this, especially because even though the re- the reviews may seem middling, they still pretty much unanimously are like, Oh, it's still better than kingdom. And if I enjoyed kingdom, then cool. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Bring it on. Uh, I think James Mangold's a good director. I'm fine with another adventure, even though Harrison is going to be walking around like a bundle of skeleton bones, just mm-hmm. clanging around in his old age. And, and that's fine. But yeah, I'll, I'll probably go fact check to find out how old he actually is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's like late eighties. I think that's like accurate, but I, I <laughs> yeah. would also think my eight pick is pretty close. <laughs> uh, he's 80. Okay. He's 80 years old. Um, I'm also in theaters for this one. Um, I, I just can't get over that. They actually got James Mangold to do it. Like what a perfect choice. If Spielberg wasn't going to do it, Mangold has to be the guy. And for Mads Mikkelsen to be the big bad. I mean, that's like making all of my dreams come true. Um, and you know, and John Williams, you know, still returning to do the score again. Like I, I only wish like it felt a little bit more purposeful. Like if this would have been, you know, one last bring in short round again, bring in every character that's ever been anything that is still alive in this world, uh, or in this universe and, and just have a fun time, um, and, and do, do some fun adventure. And, um, I, I was a little bit dampened by the like early create critic score, but then I remembered, um, that like, critics also loved the flash uh, or at least early buzz for the flash was also really positive and um i'm just always reminded that batman versus superman got a 15 minute standing ovation at its first premiere and hmm. so I, <laughs> I i'm not saying this is the case at all but like i would be I, it wouldn't surprise me if disney wanted to downplay because I, heath i think part of part of why people hated crystal kingdom of the crystal skull is because it's not anywhere near as good as Raiders or last crusade. Um, yeah. And people had expectations. Like if they're going to make it now, like they better make it good. And, uh, they, they it's didn't, a, it's in a lot of ways. It's, it's not very similar common. to the prequel series, uh, prequel yeah. trilogy or even the sequel trilogy for star Wars. When you give audiences literal, literal decades of time to, uh, be fanatical about these original movies and to theorize about, you know, what kind of stories could be told, very rarely is reality ever going to live up to expectation. You know, the, the prequels were never going to be as good 
as the original trilogies. It was just, even if they were actually that good of quality, people would have still been like, ah, but the originals are better. Let alone the, the fact that the prequels have a lot of quality issues. Yeah. Uh, sequel trilogy is the same. And the, these are the same. Kingdom is the, the same. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out in 2008. And La- Last Crusade came out in 89. So, I mean, there's just too long of a gap where people are like, oh, we're never going to get another one. Oh, now it's finally actually happening. Well, we've been waiting for so long. It has to be a masterpiece, right? And that just, it just, it wasn't realistic. It was never fair to that movie. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I agree. It was never going to be as good as those, but it can still be enjoyable. And I, I assume this will be, and I, I assume that people will flock to this too. I may not, you know, make as much as Spy- super Mario brothers or guardians or across the spider verse, but you know, there has actually never been a Indiana Jones movie in its history that it's not made $300 million domestically. Now I'm not saying this is going to keep up with that, but I expect uh, probably 200 million from this. I would be shocked if it didn't get that. So it, it might be the wrong call, but it was my summer, some game pick. Um, I think there's enough nostalgia and enough like dads wanting to take their kids. And as long as it's better than kingdom, which still performed well, you know, anyway. Um, yeah, that'll do it. So let's move on then to the SIF topic. Before we do get a chance to shout uh, you guys' stuff out real quick, uh, get a chance for, to send people wherever you want to hear more of your thoughts uh, on whatever uh, Heath, where you want to go. You can find me at Letterboxd at the one Heath bar or search Heath Lynch. Either one should be able to find me. Uh, I write way too many reviews. And if you want to read more of my ramblings, you can find them there. Nice. And Rowan? Uh, I have a website called the lenient critic. That's the lenient critic.com. Um, and I'm on letterboxd at Rowan about, uh, if you want to see my stuff there, I watch, I am on letterboxd obsessively. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I don't write a review for everything, but I am like very, not as insane with my lists as Heath is. Uh, but I do love to pretty much rank everything and, you know, log everything. And I'm, I'm, I'm very active on there. So that is probably the social media that I, that I enjoy using the most. I don't know what it says about me that people know me as the list guy. (laughs) You you did just make a big list of lists. I made a list of (laughs) lists. I know. And, and Foster first comment, this is the most Heath thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Well, we have a list to get to later, but, uh, before we get there, uh, let's get on to the SIF topic. We'll talk about, uh, Amadeus for our goat segment. First one that Robert's not been able to, um, to join us on, uh, but that's fine. Life happens. And I frequently also don't have time for a three hour movie. I just happened to this week. Um, so Amadeus is a 1984 film. Uh, it's not really streaming anywhere for free, but if you want to rent it, you can do that. I know in the past it has been on HBO Max. I think it's bounced around a couple different places. Quick uh, history of the film, some legacy. It's based off of a 1979 play by Peter Schaefer. It has an 8.4 on IMDb, making it the 74th highest rated film of all time on that platform. 88 Metacritic score, 90, 89% uh, certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. 4.3 on Letterboxd, making it the number 109th highest rated narrative film on that platform uh tied uh the oscar nominations in 1984 with 11 nominations uh, tied with a passage uh to india uh it was also the most recent film to have more than one nomination for the best actor category i thought that was interesting and i thought surely that can't be right but <laughs> this um uh, it was nominated for lead actor for tom holse and uh 
cinematography and editing as well. It won eight Oscars, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for F. Murray Abraham, Adapted Screenplay, Sound, Art Direction, Costume Design, and Makeup. I put Makeup because my keyboard's broken. Um, AFI put this on 100 Years 100 Movies, 53rd place. It won the Directors Guild of America Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement, and it was inducted to the National Film Registry in 2019. A little bit of your history with why... Uh, with with Amadeus, I know both of you had seen this before. That's part of asking Heath last minute because I know he had seen it just back in December. Um, I don't know if that's the first time. So since we're already there, um, Heath, what's your history with the film? That actually was the first time. Nice. Uh, it had been always one of those that I'd wanted to get to. And I'd even seen clips here and there uh, throughout the years, but I'd never seen the entire film in its entirety. Uh, so that was my first viewing. I did rewatch it again today uh, oh, just to have it fresh in my mind. I watched that while at work. Uh-huh. Sorry, bosses. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I've seen it twice now, and uh, that's my history with it. Nice. Um, Rowan? So I saw this um, at the end of last summer for the first time with my brother. Uh, it is a very rare instance of me getting my brother to sit down for three hours and mm-hmm. watch a whole movie front to back. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I loved it. It immediately just jumped on my top 100 list um and then i rewatched it just um again a couple days ago and i adored it even more this time i thought that it would you know that it would have sort of less of an uh, an effect on me now but nope i you know i guess i should learn this is just a movie that i love through and through and that's not going to change um this is a movie that um i saw for the first time and it was even one of those that i um, never really heard of or never really gave too much credence to. I thought, oh, it's an old musical biopic. And then I think there was a lot of conversation generated from like Sif Pop and relative channels um, that uh, made me really interested in this movie. It frequently pops up when it's when it's applicable for our beat, uh, best ever challenges. And it's frequently very high. It's also got just really high scores overall. So one day I checked out a trailer and I was like, oh, that actually looks really fun. Um, <laughs> not like a Mozart biopic that i would have thought um and uh bought it and then here we are two three years later and i finally checked it out um so was really excited to this is actually i think the the goat that i was most excited to talk about um or most excited to see not talk about uh because i didn't know what i would have to say about it so (laughs) most excited to see um okay Let's go in reverse order then on the like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, think it's just okay scale. I really liked it. I can't quite go into love it just yet. Uh, we'll see. Rowan? Uh, I am love it. Firm. Yeah. Firmly love it. Mm-hmm. And Heath? Uh, absolutely love this movie. I, I figured this is where we're going because um, I, Rowan, I saw your your tweet about this film and Heath, I obviously saw your review because that was what I checked to see. You know, who could I scramble last mm-hmm. minute? <laughs> that has seen this um, means I had to see a rating and um, I, I figured this was heading and I'm, I'm actually like really happy because I desperately want to love this movie. I just didn't quite get there. I think I don't even know where to start. Where should we start? Why do you hate this movie, Aaron? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the worst movie. No, um, I, <laughs> I think guess, like, for, what's what's like holding you back from the from the love it. I think. It will get better on a rewatch, but I think, and for the record, I watched the director's cut, um, which I don't know what is different than the theatrical cut, um, but I did actually want to mention that. So I, unless you can find the disc version, version, version of the film, uh, I, I think the director's cut is all they sell these days. I, I, I struggled to find the non-director's cut. The, the theatrical version, I believe is only about two and a half hours long, Uh, 240. Uh, 240 uh mm-hmm. and this is a full three hours mm-hmm. so 
noticeable difference of, of additional content. I don't know what scenes are the additional scenes uh, because I've never seen the theatrical cut. Both times I've seen this, it has been the director's cut, but I thought that was worth mentioning. I think there's a lot of things that were just like little snippets here and there and whatnot. Like, cause I was looking um, just briefly and like it's rated PG. Um, and so I think one of the things I read that was like in the theatrical cut, like there's a seed where Mozart's wife strips down and like it's it's edited more to where you don't see anything but you do in the director's cut mm, interesting um, so i would be surprised if it wasn't just lots of little cuts um that, and then and then a scene here or there but certainly not 20 minutes of scenes um anyway we'll see maybe that was just to keep it pg so people could take their i don't know whatever there's but, no way this is pg <laughs> I, I, I guess one, i just didn't realize unless there's one specific scene that was not in the theatrical version there's no way this was pg <laughs> Well, I'm struggling to think of the scene, but the uh, scene where his fiance is topless. Yeah, no, that was what I was saying. Like in the in the theatrical cut, it was cut around where you can't see. Oh, okay. Yeah, but but also like airplanes, say. PG. You know, so um, <laughs> the '80s man. Yeah, <laughs> airplanes. T- t- Titanic's PG thirteen. Is that seventies? Yeah, late seventies, early eighties. So, that might have been exactly nineteen. Like, anyway, there's a, I don't think it was long enough or explicit enough or in in a wrong enough tone that I don't think it would warrant a different rating. Because again, if, if Titanic can be PG thirteen, then fine. Amadeus could be PG thirteen. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, point is, um, I saw the director's actually, cut. Actually. This is worth noting. PG-13 didn't exist yet. PG-13 was made as a reaction to Indiana Jones and the Temple, Temple of Doom, Doom, which came out, I believe, in 84. So mm. PG-13 would not have existed. And under that, then yes, this actually probably was PG. Interesting. Wow. Well, okay. Hold on, though. Because Red Dawn was the first PG-13 movie, which also came uh, out in 84. Uh, yeah. Uh, Red Dawn was the first PG-13 in response, in response to, to Temple of Doom. To yeah. the heart-ripping mm-hmm. scene in Temple of Doom. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I'm just I'm like I'm trying to find an actual release date. Either way, it doesn't matter. We're just being <laughs> whatever. Um, I think the reason that keeps me out of the loved it camp, and I think this is something that will be fixed on rewatches. I think the movie uh, got got off to a really slow start for me. Um, but I think kind of seeing where the film is going, um, I think I'm gonna really appreciate that first. Let's say 25, 30 minutes. Um, a lot more, but I think uh, like, especially once we get past the initial setup of, um, Cellini talking to the, to the priest, um, once we get back or Soleri, sorry, Soleri talking to the priest, um, once we actually start going into flashbacks, then I think, um, I think the movie takes a while to really get into what, what's going on. Um, and I, it, it, it certainly didn't keep my attention, but once, once the movie actually got going, I thought it was really good. And especially by the end, I really love the last like third of this movie, but. Um, mm-hmm. I, I the think, last hour of this movie is absolutely riveting. You cannot turn away. Like, it is from, a punch to the gut in the best way. Like from the from the moment where essentially um, like Mozart gets fired, not really fired. I don't know where he's in. Where I he, would say from where where it's noticeable that his mental state is cracking and his physical health is deteriorating. From that point on, this movie yeah is unimpeachable. I w- I'm thinking. I-, I think the moment is where um, where Soleri hires the maid. Mm-hmm. I think that moment on. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I-, I think it just took a little bit of a slow start for me to get there. But like, also like, I thought the movie was about Mozart, not about some person's interaction with Mozart. I That's mean, where not, they get not, you. Sorry, not <laughs> some person. Um, so I-, I thought it was going to be about Mozart, and maybe even from the perspective, but it really is more about Soleri and his 
jealousy and reaction to re- reaction to like <laughs> Mozart, you know, I, I, and the movie even kind of hits hits it right on the head uh, at the end of it. But when the movie really becomes about like Solari is the movie is framed Solari Solari as like the definition of mediocrity and Mozart as like the definition of perfection, at least in terms of his you know, career and, and writing and whatnot, you know, especially from Slayers. Like when it, when it gets to the, when it gets to what the movie actually is, is about, I think it works really well. I just think it took me a while to understand that. And so I think it'll work better on rewatches. It just took a while for me to actually get involved in the movie. Yeah. It's very possible that just due to your expectations of assuming this was about Mozart, cause really it's not about Mozart, like almost at all. Um, it, uh, going into that with that misconception of what this film is about probably would taint your experience because then you'd have to, you know, reorient your brain around, okay, it's not going there, it's going here. And I have to, you know, adjust uh, my perspective on these characters and what I'm focusing on. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, I could definitely see because I, I agree with Rowan what you said earlier. I've seen this twice now and I loved it the first time. Second time, I, I loved it even more. It, this is just. Uh, it this movie crackles like it just goes wrong ha- goes along has such a verve and energy to it from the, the very beginning of the movie uh there's really <laughs> it's so unique that this movie is again i've only seen the director's cut so three hours long and i still i'm just like yeah i could rewatch this again in like just a couple months like it's it's that kind of power to it and there's not that many three hour movies that i can say that for uh you know just the direction is just awesome milos foreman knows exactly what he's doing uh the the tone and energy he's getting the utilization he's getting from his performers uh, some of his framing devices uh are great the the two lead performances from f murray abraham and tom holsey are awesome <laughs> i i will never get over holsey's laugh mm-hmm. uh, i remember the first time i saw this for the first like two times he did that laugh i was like wait is he serious what is this night was struck but then i was like Oh, that's the joke. He's so obnoxious. (laughs) You're supposed to think, what the hell is that? And like, ever since then, I'm like, I love it. I want to just hear Holtzy laugh for forever. Um, (laughs) And that's just the almost manic energy that this movie has with, you know, Mozart just wanting to be this depravious person who like goes to parties and cavalts and gets in costumes and drinks and just doesn't care, but he's still an absolute genius, a, a musical mind from the gods as, as Solari puts it. And Solari is the definition of mediocrity. And this movie has so much to say, not just about jealousy and its toxic nature and how it can corrupt the soul, but just about like clout chasing, searching for fame, wanting notoriety, um, how that affects relationships, how you use people, even down to the very end where Solari is, you know, dictating Mozart's uh, music, He's still just using them and he still doesn't even understand Mozart is literally dying in front of him. And he's like, Hey, do, you know, are you still feeling up for this? Do you want to take a break? Clearly? Cause Mozart needs to sleep. And he's like, Oh no, no, I can keep writing. Let's keep writing. And <laughs> completely doesn't care that like, he's like, Oh yeah, you're dying in front of me. Whatever. Uh, write me this opera, you idiot. And it's just, there's so much about this film. That's just tremendous wholeheartedly agree uh i just love how like this movie is mostly fictional like like it is a it's a dramatic fantasy of something that may have happened but probably didn't at least not this way um 
but everything about this movie just sells that just 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 sells the idea that this could very well have happened even though we're seeing it entirely from Salieri's perspective like you'd expect you know with a title like Amadeus like Aaron like like you expected Mozart to be the main character but instead he's sort of like a like he's a shrill whiny brat because that's how Salieri <laughs> saw him like like that was Salieri's first impression of him and that stuck around um even though like I, I just think their relationship is so fascinating because I, I, I believe Salieri did like respect and admire Mozart, but he also resented him for what he was and what he represented to him. Uh, and of course that's the center of the movie. And it, I think because of that, like that's what ties everything together. Like, like you said, Heath, like I, this movie feels like I did watch it over two days this time, but last year when i watched it just all in 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 one sitting i felt like the time really flew by like the director's cut is also only what i've seen i have no idea what could be cut out aside from the nude scene to make it pg like maybe a little bit of them writing together at the end but i think it's all so vital i don't think there's a single thing you can cut i i never want to see the theatrical cut of this Mm -hmm. film because to me every single scene is so important to the development of these characters and the structure of the narrative plot Agree. Yeah. Uh, and man, this movie does take its time a little bit. And Aaron, like, I, I think that's what you're talking about, like what mm-hmm. sort of held you back from 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 loving it. But especially on the rewatch, it really worked for me like a lot um, just because like it's taking its time in, in setting everything up. And yet it still doesn't feel drawn out to the extent that it's like that it's boring to watch, especially when you have F. Murray Abraham and Tom Holtzy on screen, just like doing pretty much like opposite styles of performing and they both work so well especially when they're in a scene together um and they're just both absolutely phenomenal and well deserving of their nominations and i'm glad that f murray abraham won i like he is far and away the best part of this movie and i think that's really saying something especially when he's older and in Mm -hmm. the makeup Uh, i i think that's actually the most compelling parts of the movie is seeing how deranged even after Mozart's death decades later, he's still just obsessed and he can't let go. And he still keeps twisting his own memory because he's becoming senile and doesn't fully comprehend or even remember exactly what happened. All he remembers is his emotion and his hatred. And it's just so fascinating. And what makes this such a brilliant, unreliable narrator movie is because clearly every scene is just, told from the perspective of this snotty, arrogant, insignificant child who has God's gift. How dare he, you know, you know, right from the opening of the movie when he's chasing around his fiance, you know, at a fancy party. But in reality, if you're paying attention, he's also showing Mozart literally talking backwards as if he was talking forwards with no pause to think of how the words should sound or the structure of the sentences. He just knows how to do that. Just like he knows how to write music. It's all in his head. He doesn't need to make corrections or script uh, scribbles on his paper. He just can dictate because he knows what's right. And it's even when he's so hateful and vindictive towards uh, Amadeus, he's still, as you said, Rowan, so envious and so in awe of how brilliant it is. Like, yeah, you're playing a vaudeville act at a theater for no one. There's no royals around, no noblemen. And this is still the you know a better performance and a better show than anything I've ever written. And I'm not going to miss a single performance. I'm going to be there for every single one. You know, like it's it's incredible. 
I um I think the things that I liked about this movie was when it chose to lean into the this probably isn't what went down, but like um so the things that I really appreciated about the movie was like all the thematic stuff at the end, how like it was it was the song that was the thing that killed him. Um <laughs> like 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 that's kind of the line that he says to his to his wife and he's just like um, you know, I'm sick and I, I can't finish it because it's the thing that's killing me. Like, I, I like, I, I think that there was like uh, a really interesting, like dynamic, like with that. And then, but like also it's still his kind of quest to finish it. Um, and then, you know, uh, Salieri pushing him to finish it at the end, you know, um, I thought a lot of the like thematic over, like over the top exaggerated stuff worked really well. I think I was also expecting this movie to be more comedic because the way the trailer is cut makes this look like a comedy first and foremost. Um, so trailers once again showing that they really are worthless. I would say that that's another thing that changes upon rewatch. I found it entertaining and slightly funny the first time, but this time I laughed a lot more. I, again, because you're not having to pay as much of attention to the plot and Salieri's uh, misconceptions of the truth and what actually happened. Uh, you can realize that Mozart is pretty much a, a riot this entire movie. Holtzi is playing him like the greatest class clown you've ever met. And there is very few scenes where I'm not laughing at some of this. Even if it's like his subtle underhanded ways of making fun of the nobles, like cracks me up. I... I Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> I that scene where he like um is performing and then uh he like Salieri's there, he's like, play Salieri, and he's like plays this really like stern grump thing, and then he you know ends with this big, you know, fart, fart. and it's like fart jokes, <laughs> fart jokes can be clever. Uh yep. you know, it's or uh, even all again, another way to make fun of Salieri. I like it when he's pretty much first introduced to him. He's introduced to the king and Salieri plays a song to welcome him and then he plays the song from memory and then improvises on the spot a better version of that song and he's like oh yeah but doesn't this sound better yeah I like this more yeah. and Salieri was just so offended but can't react to it because all these nobles around him like I had me busting up laughing you could around. you could tell Sal- Salieri's like I, I know so it's better pissed. I know it's better but I can't say anything oh right well that yeah that's, that's that's the other <laughs> dynamic that I like about it too it's like you can tell that Salieri like knows that Mozart is right, but he doesn't want to agree with him because he doesn't want to get because he doesn't want to give the attribution to the young cocky guy who five minutes ago was horsing around with his fiance when he should have been preparing for the performance. You know, um, so especially when Salieri views himself as the more noble person because he you know made his sacrifice to God when he was so young. You know, I thought. I thought all like that dynamic stuff I thought worked really well. Uh, yeah. And the religious undertone throughout this movie is exceptional. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I think a lot of it was my expectations going to the movie, which I, which I find to be um, like a common thread as I continue to do this podcast, especially with movies that I'm watching for the first time. But, um, but yeah, like, I think just thinking it was more about Mozart, thinking it was more of a comedy than I think it is. And uh, which I still, I still laughed quite a bit, but um, thinking it was going to be a comedy first and foremost. And, uh, um, and also thinking of, um, um, yeah, just uh, to be, to be a little bit more, like it, it, let's get into it, you know, like a little bit slow pacing at first. I thought those things were, were some of the things that kind of held me back. But uh, uh, I, I, I think this is one that I will watch at some point again and be like, what, why, what did I miss? Like, why did I not love it back then? And 
I think there's a lot to respect. And I think there's a lot more that I'm going to notice later on. There was certainly some things that I'm sure um, flew under the radar for me. Um, like, I mean, you guys are saying that F. Murray Abraham deserved to win the Oscar. I'm sitting here. I'm like, I, I think I might have given it to, to uh, Holtzy, <laughs> but I'm not trying to take it away from F. Murray Abraham. They're both right. fantastic. They're, like, yeah. But I think I think it's also there's a difference between like Holtzy's a little bit more like showy. And if this movie came out in 2023, it would be Holtzy would be supporting and they would win like lead and supporting. Um, mm. They would campaign him as supporting actor, um, which I think you could argue like he's totally. He is mm-hmm. the supporting, uh, but yeah. Uh, anyway, the um, the I, I think there will certainly be some things that I I really like, and I think yeah. I mean, like you said, he the last specifically hour is just riveting. Um, it's perfect. I wouldn't change a damn thing. No, especially like leading to the mass grave moment is just like it's so good, and 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 seeing the way that uh, Salieri leaves the priest at the end of the movie, and like it's just. It's such an excellent like final act. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, one thing I did want to mention that I think really separates the 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 good to great movies from the all time great movies is it's well rounded in every aspect. And what I mean by that is a lot of really great movies are like good above the line or good below the line, but this is both. This has powerful direction, amazing lead co lead acting performances. It had a, a stellar script with punchy dialogue in all the best ways all the things in you know like excellent film editing especially in sequence with some of these dances and operas and the music oh fantastic but it also like has kick-ass sound design the natural candlelit lighting for the cinematography these are some of the most elegant costumes you'll ever see in film uh the art direction for these sets and reconstruction of these old opera houses Oh my God. Like it's literally all the aspects, the above the line, the below the line technicals. Perfect. Every, just everything in here is so flawless and well-constructed. Mm-hmm. Masterful. I agree. I think, um, I honestly don't have a lot to say about this movie, um, except for what I've already said, but I, um, I think my final note is that I think similar to the way I was saying about Holtzy versus Abraham's performances is I think this movie is, like there's nothing bad about this movie. Um, but, and I think everything in the movie is great, but I also think it's one of those that like, it's, it's almost unnoticeably great because it's not really showy again, based off of what the trailer was, I was expecting a little bit showy of a film. I don't think I've ever seen a Milos Forman film. Um, so he's awesome. I take a look. I don't think, um, but one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I have seen that. Probably what is most known for a man on the moon. Have seen people versus Larry friend Ragtime, mm-hmm. and this. No, but I have seen man on the moon and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um, so I, I redact that last part, but either, either way, like, I think that there's a lot that I will notice on a second watch, but I think at least in terms of first watch and again, kind of what thinking what the movie was supposed to be in my head as I started it. Um, it's really good, but aside from Holsey's performance, there's not necessarily anything that's showy. And like, it was almost really refreshing to watch, like, because a lot of times we, you know, we, me and Robert watch these movies for our goat segment and we're like, man, the direction's incredible. Like when we watched, uh, um, good, the bad and the ugly, or like you watch rebel without your cause, you're like, everything's fine. And then James Dean is great. And then, um, you know, like it, it feels like a lot of these times, like, or even like on the waterfront, you're like, man, everything here is awesome. And then Brando's like next level, you know, like this ironically, I thought was going to be one of the most showy movies we've seen in a while. And it wasn't like, like the, the set design, the costume design, everything was great without being showy. And like given the tone and the mood, especially the way Holtz playing it, I'm 
I was full on expecting Moulin Rouge when I turned this movie on, like a funnier Moulin Rouge, uh, which is already a funny movie. Like, so um, again, maybe it's just my expectations, but I just, I think it worked really well that this movie was excellent, but in a non showy way, you know, this is a best picture winner. And I think a lot of times when we think of the best picture winners, um, you know, especially of, of this era of Hollywood, right? Like where, you know, before we'll allow something like everything ever all at once to win best picture, right? Where it's like, oh, this has to be your on the waterfront and your, you know, the English patient over saving private Ryan or whatever it was. No, it was Shakespeare in love. No, English patient. Shakespeare in love was over saving private Ryan. Okay. The English patient was over at Fargo. I think that year. Been 93. No, no, it was 95. Either way. Like, you know, when you're with your, um, you know, not, not picking Shawshank for 1994 or whatever, you know, like, uh, or, or even Pulp Fiction, whatever, you know, it's just like, I think, uh, I, I yeah, think especially Fargo. looking, looking back, um, I was expecting a very showy, a very flashy, a very, but still very stern and serious and not very fun movie. Uh, but then the trail, I don't, it's, I guess I lost the track of what I was going to, but I, I like, I remember thinking like, this is a best picture winner and it feels like it in a lot of ways, but not, Oh yeah. It feels like it in a lot of ways, but not like, like, I think uh, the most recent example of like a movie that felt like, Oh, they're going for the best picture was like fences. Right. Like at least mm. out of the ones that were like best picture nominated. I know there's a, a couple of those every year, but like, you know, fences is really going for it. And then, uh, yeah, and fences would have fences would have won if that Oscar ceremony had been in the eighties, you know. So anyway, um, I'm going to shut I, up I think now the, before I. The good way to go into this is knowing more. that while it has a lot of comedic elements, it is certainly a drama first, but it's not a drama about Mozart. It's a drama about someone who resents and is jealous of Mozart because he is not Mozart, and that's what this picture is really about, and how that you can extrapolate that into just real life everyday scenarios of oh you know so and so is better at a video game than me damn it i wish i was as good as him why why can't i be as good as him i mean you really in all elements of life you could make these kind of comparisons and that's what makes the film so uh relatable and interesting and dynamic um but yeah i i for anyone who's considering watching this i would not go into this thinking it's a comedy but it certainly will have a lot of comedic elements that will certainly have you laughing especially tom holtzy as mozart uh comparatively for the best picture though you were talking about aaron mm-hmm. uh, that year uh, this went up against the killing fields a soldier story places in the heart and a passage to india i've seen all of those that in my opinion I, I think the best one of those is easily amadeus and it's not even close i like the killing fields the second most but i mean the the gap between amadeus and the killing fields is is not small like it's it's amadeus several 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 steps down and then the rest of the field. So like this, it really wasn't competitive that year. Nice. And that bears out in the Oscar wins when Amadeus got eight. And the next closest I think was the killing fields, which got three. So, uh, is, is it fair for me to say that, you know, for this goat segment, we, I ask, is it a goat? This meaning if we are the curators, of the criterion collection, it, are we adding it? I think it's fair to say all three of us would. Absolutely. Yeah. This is 100%. Um, uh, on my list, I I I, sh- I did a little bit of shuffling around my list um, yesterday because I had a little bit of free time and just kind of where things have gone just from with time. So I did a little bit of reshuffling. This landed a, probably a little bit lower than you would than you might hope or expect or whatever, but I do think it could climb. Um, I have this at thirteen right now, which is uh, just below the color purple and just above Network, which is still great company. So yes, um, 
So again, like relative to this list where we're supposed to be talking about the best movies of all time, you know, I really love and admire and respect the top 30, you know, <laughs> so um, out of the this is 52. Uh, nope, sorry, 51. So, um, yeah, uh, that's where it ended up on my list. So I, th- I I say not bad. Number 13, not bad in a, you know, in a literal list of the best of the best. <laughs> yeah. And. One of those that I also think, like, if I shuffle it around, it might even go higher, a little lower. Like, I don't know. Like, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if a year from now when I haven't seen any of these films, if I swap it and the color purple. But, um, yeah, we'll see. Um, that's where I have it ranked in my list. On uh, next month's GOAT, Robert and I will be joined by Jacob. We're talking about Good Morning Vietnam. Um, so should be a good time over if there. If Robert shows up, just kidding. Love you, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> well, Good Morning Vietnam is not a three-hour movie, so yeah. Thank um, goodness. <laughs> and even if it also was, also has would... more jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you said this one had a lot more, or a lot. Um, so I, I think this has a lot of jokes, but I promise you, Good Morning Vietnam has more jokes than this. <laughs> yeah, I saw it once six years ago or so. Anyway, um. Uh, so good morning Robin Vietnam is spitting a mile a minute in that movie. <laughs> uh, good morning Vietnam in a month. Robert and Jacob joining me. Okay, let's move on to our B, uh, best ever challenge. We'll do that for our B plot this week. We're doing um, a best ever challenge style. Um, so with Trump rules and honorable mentions of uh, movies that feature unreliable narrators. Um, and we were talking about this just before we started recording. And I think we'll just have to like give grace and also rebuke whenever, whenever somebody might be like, no, hold on, either explain yourself or that's stupid. Um, and that's fine because it turns out uh, if you just were to Google uh, best ever movies that have an unreliable narrator, you'll find a lot of stupid stuff on the internet. So um, let's just, uh, we can have a discussion and we can change things if we need to. But um, I think the general consensus we kind of came to before the pod was it's a movie in which the narrator is hindered in some way to telling the truth of the story, whether because they're a child and they're naive and they don't know better, they're old and they have forgotten, or they just have such a warped perspective that they don't understand or are even actively lying to try to prevent the truth from being told. And depending on the way the movie shows it, sometimes we don't find out the truth till later. Sometimes we know that the truth, what the truth is immediately, but the narrator doesn't convey that. And the narrator is still confused and or lying. And in some way, shape or form, the narrator is telling us something that's not the truth. Yeah. And I, I feel like I'm missing one really great example on this list and I just can't remember it, but I'm, I'm sure this will be a list that I would revise later, but uh, mm, totally. And as with all lists. Um, so let's go with what we have now. Number five to number one. Rowan, why don't you kick us off? Cool. Um, my number five is Big Fish. Uh, the Tim Burton uh, film in which Ewan McGregor plays, don't remember his name, uh, but uh, it is basically told in in, in, in in vignettes charting a character's journey, um, stories that uh, he is telling his, is it his children or his grandchildren? Grandchildren. I his can, children. I, I can never remember. Yeah. Um, and basically it's uh, a fantastical retelling of, of how he ended up marrying uh, his wife. Um, and yes, this is, you know, he is he is telling the story and he is putting like a fantastical sheen on it because he's telling like it's a children's story. It is like basically a romanticized and fantasized version of how he um, met the kid's mother. Uh, and it's sort of glamorized in a way um, that 
just Tim Burton brings to life absolutely gorgeously uh, in in the visual medium. Uh, and in this sense, it's not the protagonist lying, like lying, you know, like in a malicious way or anything. He's just embellishing it for the entertainment of his kids and i i just this is just such a cute movie uh and 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 just one that i i watched it relatively recently for the first time and i just had so much fun stayed up until way too late watching this one uh because i was just drawn in uh i'm gonna say what to myself in between you two i saw rashomon on a lot of lists and rashomon is not one that i have seen but i have seen the last duel so i'm gonna put the last mm. duel here Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> if, yeah, if, I, you, if you had gone with Rashomon, that may have gotten trumped. Yeah, but <laughs> I figured. Um, I, I've not seen Rashomon, but um, mm-hmm. but I think, again, Last Duel kind of being the same style really sparked my interest, which I didn't see anywhere online. But I think like the whole crux of that movie is about unreliable narrators, uh, <laughs> at least for the first two stories. So, um, yeah, I uh, movie's great. Um, super snubbed at the Oscars and, uh, unfortunately, uh, a bit of a box office flop. Um, but, uh, great movie. Check it out. Heath. I'm in the same position as you, by the way. I saw the last duel. I loved it. Uh, but I've still not seen Rashomon. I'm pretty sure Rashomon would have been on my list had I gotten to see yeah, it already. Same. My number five was Memento. Yeah. I'll jump that. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, my number four is Memento. <laughs> yep, I'll jump that. Uh, my number four is Shutter Island. Honorable mention. It is also an honorable mention for me. Yeah. um, It's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, It's a great movie. And uh, the whole like reveal when the narrator is revealed to be an unreliable narrator. uh, It just works so well. I think it's one of those movies that when you rewatch it, like it's one of those. It's like, is it really that good? And then like the last act is just just excellent. So um, it almost pulls you back in. I think it also has such a good last act that I I think a lot of the general population myself included has elevated the movie as a whole. Um, the performances are really good too. And, and I, I, enjoy, I love the, like the visuals. I think the, the set design and the, the, the cinematography and uh, makeup, I think it's all just, it's a really great movie to just see. So, um, Shutter Island. Keith. Uh, my number four is Amadeus. Cool. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it cause we just talked about yeah. it, but all those reasons <laughs> I mentioned before, I love it. There you go. I always forget to put whatever movie we talk about on the list. But. Yeah, I, I was I was going to put Amadeus on the list, but then I made, just made a little note that if I was going to incorporate it, like I wanted to spotlight some other movies. Uh, if I was going to put it on the list, it would have been pretty much near the top. Um, but uh, anyway, my number three is Fight Club. Trump. My number three is Fight Club. Trump. What's your number three, Heath? The Sixth Sense. List of Shame. All right. Uh, yeah, this movie is spectacular. Unfortunately, the twist has largely been spoiled by pop culture, but it's still one of the greatest twists in cinema history. And even if you know the twist, it's still a riveting film experience to take in. And uh, it makes for one of the most interesting rewatch it a second time kind of movies. Once you know the twist, uh, it's uh, that is a fun, unreliable narrator story. Mm-hmm. Um, my number two is The Prestige. Um, everyone tricking everyone else. Okay, all right, all right, all no, right. No, 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 no. I'm not that was, gonna. That was the one I was thinking of that I saw earlier, and I was like, <laughs> I don't know if that counts. I'm not gonna argue. It was just one of those that I saw on the list, and and I also agreed. I'm not sure that it counts, but I won't begrudge anybody for putting it on. Yeah, this the is closest. I think it comes to counting is because of the diary entries that mislead people. But that's, the that's diary entries the diary ent- entries themselves are so vague and unclear as to what really happened, and even like on the critical moments in the, in the film, like the shooting of the clone and all this, those are like, aren't diary entries. We just see them happen. But 
it's so, such a fun movie. Screw it. Whatever. Just yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, the whole movie is about, you know, tricking and illusions and not being sure what's real or not. And, and, you know, I would need to watch this movie again because I'm not sure I really got the whole point of it the first time um, because everything's going every which way. But yeah, I, I think this movie is fantastic and does that thing, the whole thing very well. I, um, for number two, right. That's where we're at. Number two. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I have uh, memento. So nice. Um, Ultimately, I found this list to to be movies that I really liked, but not necessarily ones that I really loved. Um, and so I um, like that's why Memento can can come to number two, because it is in my favorite films of all time. Um, but it's uh, it's it's far from perfect, but it is at least worth being in the top five. We all had it in the top five, so at least mm-hmm. worth being there. But um, that's why it got to number two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's great. It was really the Nolan film that put him on the map that gave yeah. him opportunities like uh, Batman Begins. It, it's one of those films that, yes, going back and watching it a second time is awesome. It it absolutely applies. And it's uh, it's it's a good, good work of art. Yep. Agree. Uh, Heath, your number two. My number two is Gone Girl. Nice. Honorable mention for me. Same. Um, so we are now in my top 100, just barely. I think this is actually my number 100. Um, but, uh, at least currently it is, uh, yeah, the first half of this movie is just wild, man. Uh, I actually find the first half of the movie more fun than the second half, uh, because it's so crazy as you don't know what's going on. And and then when you get the rug pulled out from under you, which is interesting because they do it at the midway point in the movie, most movies save twists for the ending. Uh, but it recontextualizes the entire second half of the film. And that also makes that quite interesting and riveting. And uh, yeah, uh, I think Gone Girl's great. David Fincher is one of the best in the game. He proves it once again. And Rosamund Pike gives the performance of her career here. So awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. And Ben Affleck is good playing Ben Affleck. So, you yeah. know, <laughs> uh, my number one is uh, is Rashomon, uh, a movie that apparently neither of you have seen. Uh, yeah. But it's it's so synonymous with the sort of like, um, told from different perspectives type narrative that when when the last duel came out, like all I was seeing on 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 the internet was that it's it's basically doing Rashomon, and so I knew at that point that I had to watch it. I ended up watching it a like a while after seeing the last duel, um, but Rashomon is like it, it's just so masterful in how and 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 very detailed and specific in how it presents these different narratives and changes these changes the story sometimes slightly, sometimes in a very major way depending on which character is 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 narrating um and it's you know uh, you know kurosawa is the master as we all know uh he's the template um and and this just rashomon is i think the like the not the pinnacle is not the word i'm looking for but it like it is the you know sort of unreliable narrator story as far as i'm concerned for my number one i have a movie that actually i have ranked lower just in general because it's not in my top hundred um but then everything else um but i think it is the best unreliable narrator movie um i have a beautiful mind on here mm. so um truly great Russell Crowe, Paul Bettany performances, um, excellent film. Um, one that'll stick with you, and it's awesome. Uh, my number one was something that I trumped earlier, and that's Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Fincher is just awesome. Um, I love it for its condemnation of toxic masculinity and how much it says about consumerism and capitalism in our modern day culture. So much of it's still relevant to this day. The performances are out of this world. And I don't know if there is a better film out there that you have to watch this a second time to get the full holy crap experience out Mm -hmm. of than Fight Club. Uh, It is just 
it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece for a reason. It's beloved for a reason. Uh, and not because of the reason some people love it, but, uh, it it's awesome. And uh, it's easily my favorite unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of honorable mentions, I had shutter Island, as we mentioned earlier, the last duel slash Rashomon. I haven't seen it, but same concept. Uh, I also had, uh, atonement. I thought is really good. Uh, the usual suspects and eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Those were my honorable mentions. I struggled with eternal sunshine of the spotless mind really counting, um, in this category. I figured it just doesn't fit the spirit of the question enough to me. Otherwise it would have been my number. Um, other honorable mentions I had listed that haven't been mentioned so far are, um, fallen and uh, hero. Both are just I haven't seen recently enough to really judge uh, where they would go. And then two ones I thought were interesting. Um, Road Trip, I think, is really <laughs> fun to put in this category because Tom Green is narrating that movie. And then um, an argument that I saw for 500 Days of Summer because Tom mm. is narrating his perception of what summer actually is. So mm-hmm. uh, sorry, who summer actually is. Um, right. Really interesting perspective. Yeah. Um, I'll just rattle off a few of mine. Uh, Mulholland Drive. Uh, I am a sucker for the Great Gatsby, and I have a soft spot for the DiCaprio version, so I'm gonna, just going to s- quietly mention that one. Uh, the Empty Man, um, Donnie Darko, uh, The Lighthouse are just a few. Nice. Uh, that leads us to the spinoff. What is that one thing in any area of pop culture that you want to recommend or warn uh, to everybody? I'll kick us off briefly just because I watched Kingdom of the Crystal Skull this last week, and a little bit worse than i remember um but ultimately i'm with you guys it's 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 fine it's i put it on par with temple of doom uh, no better no worse and uh so that's a three out of five for me um so um yeah uh nice. whoever wants to go next heath um uh if you care to join in your local pride events uh one thing that was done in my city was they were handing out codes to see pre-screenings of barbie early for oh, free hell yeah um <laughs> so i don't know if anyone still has local pride events that are going on one that's just great to support members of your community and to be a part of that and two uh if you're a film person you might be able to get to see barbie for free uh <laughs> early so i'm super excited i get to see that like a week before the movie's released yay <laughs> nice very exciting um Mine is a is a movie that is coming out on Netflix this Friday, the thirtieth. It's called Nimona. Uh, it's an adaptation uh, of a comic uh, or a graphic novel uh, that I've heard is very good. Um, but this animated, uh, it's it's sort of like a futuristic fantasy hybrid story with Chloe Grace Moretz and Riz Ahmed, among many others. Uh, and it is just a a delightful, very very sweet film. Um, that like it's not going to change lives, but it does do some very good things in terms of representation in animated movies, uh, and and it just has a fantastic voice cast and a really good script uh, as well. So I strongly recommend checking out Nimona on Netflix. Nice. Uh, that's a wrap. Quick reminder that you can follow Rowan and Heath at the places they mentioned at the top of the show. I'll have uh, Heath's letterbox and Rowan's Twitter popped in the episode descriptions. You guys can check that out. Uh, remember the Sip Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. If you want to write for sippop.com, email writersroom at sippop.com or if you want to send any feedback for the show, submit a question to the B-plot, any of that good stuff. If you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, give us a review. We'd really appreciate that. Next week, uh, Nash and Jeffrey are joining me to talk about waves and leave no trace. I am prepared to cry this week. Uh, in two weeks, Adam and Joe will be joining me to talk about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And next month, as mentioned, Rob and Jacob will be on to talk about Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, so we will see you guys back here next week. Rowan and Heath, uh, we will see you in the next schedule.